Namaste. I am the Heartbeat, and I'd like to welcome you into episode two of the Pyro Pulse podcast, The Art of Quarterback with JJ Zacharyson. First, let's look around the league and see what news we have from these last couple weeks. There's still been no word from the NFL on the Ezekiel Elliott suspension. I suspect they will suspend him for four games due to the conduct policy. He will go through the appellate process, and they will reduce it to three games. Le'Veon Bell still has not signed his franchise tag. He's currently in Miami working out with the footwork king, Richard Woodfield. Ryan Tannehill re-aggravated his partially torn ACL in practice last week. He's going to be out for either six to eight weeks on rest, or he'll require surgery. If he does require surgery, he will likely be out for the season, and the Dolphins are looking into signing retired Jay Cutler. Andrew Luck still hasn't begun throwing due to his shoulder surgery in Indianapolis, and Cam Newton has been throwing, but only with his left hand, in Panthers camp. Jordan Reed is considered day-to-day with a toe injury, and he has been put on the pup list. Will Fuller broke his collarbone, and he'll be out for two to three months for the Texans. The Bills' starting left tackle, Cordy Glenn, may need foot surgery, which would likely put him out for the rest of the season. And Corey Davis, the Titans' rookie, is out for one week with a tweaked hamstring. Tyler Lockett has been activated from the pup list and began practicing in Seattle. And Sterling Shepard, after getting carted off the field in tears, has just a low ankle sprain and is out of his walking boot already. The Chargers cornerback Jason Verrett was activated off the pup list today. The Ravens waived their injured tight end, Crockett Gilmore. And Travis Kelsey of the Chiefs experienced knee swelling. Andy Reid does not believe that it's a serious issue, but this is definitely something to monitor. And finally, Martavis Bryant still has not been fully reinstated, pending quotation clinical resources. All accounts state that Martavis should be back in time for the start of the regular season, though. Now, before we get to JJ, I just would like to point out, we composed this interview on July 20th, so that's about two weeks ago. And when we talk about individual players or their situations, they may have drastically changed due to injury. So just keep that in mind. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome on JJ Zacharyson. Welcoming JJ Zacharyson, the editor in chief in Number Fire. Thank you for coming on, JJ. How are you? Thanks for having me, man. I'm, I'm pretty good. We'd like to welcome JJ as the first official Pyro Pulse podcast guest. So, I mean, what an honor, right? Yeah, it's a huge honor. I appreciate it. Um, so, over the last week or so, I've been digging in at uh, JJ's old stuff, and he's been reaching out to me saying, "Hey, hey, like, I don't don't say that. That's not how I feel anymore." But realistically. He, uh, he got into the fantasy game in 2012 where he came out with his uh, ebook, The Late Round Quarterback. And honestly, in 2012, I was a senior in college and 
I didn't do anything with fantasy football. I was more uh, more worried about what beer I was going to drink and which bar I was yeah. going to go to then. So, um, JJ, tell me about the uh, the early days in fantasy in 2012 and where your head was at. Yeah, I mean, back in 2012, uh, that was right after the 2011 season, which was a very, very big quarterback season. A lot of records were broken that year. Guys were throwing for 40 touchdowns, 5,000 yards. Um, and then I noticed that the discourse around that season and into the next season surrounded this idea of drafting quarterbacks early in your fantasy drafts. And if you look at ADP data uh, in 2012, it's pretty crazy. Uh, there were five quarterbacks who had uh, average draft position costs uh, in the first two rounds, and that included Cam Newton and Matthew Stafford, because that was the year after Matthew Stafford and Cam, obviously, as a rookie, realized that um, this was more of a, uh, an anomaly than anything else uh, in terms of uh, the way that, that these quarterbacks performed. And I also saw it from a perspective of these quarterbacks still weren't giving you that significant of an edge because of really basic supply and demand principles like opportunity costs and supply and demand and, and et cetera. So that's really what made me and motivated me to, to write the ebook. Yeah. And I mean, it's really revolutionized the way we look at fantasy now. I mean, basically every fantasy analyst is an advocate of the late round quarterback or streaming quarterback. Um, one of the issues that I see with it is when you get into more of the common drafts, people seem to take quarterbacks way earlier. I think that's more of a application of them just getting scared and seeing like this is the last top five quarterback and just pull the trigger. So I want to focus more on in-season work. So how do you look at streaming? Do you look at it how many weeks in advance and what, who are you targeting when you stream? Yeah, I mean, so you can do it in a lot of different ways. It depends how active your league is. If it's a very active league, then you do want to be a couple weeks ahead uh, with streaming. Um, but in general, you know, if you look at each position in fantasy football, so you're looking at quarterback, running back, tight end, and wide receiver, the quarterback position each week going into the week. So this isn't looking in hindsight, but going into the week, it's the most predictable position of the four. And the reason for that is pretty intuitive. It's because quarterbacks are throwing the ball 30 plus times per game. As a result, you have a larger sample size and larger sample sizes mean easier to predict and more predictability. So with the quarterback position, if you know that it's the most predictable, it's out there, um, you can combine those two aspects and, and put together uh, these quarterback Frankensteins and, and these streamers. So really you're looking at things like um, Vegas spreads, maybe implied team total a little bit, looking at the secondary and the weaknesses that they have and looking at the matchups in general. And since the quarterback position is predictable, you can match those things up, the matchups and the predictability to take QB2s or underused QB2s or guys in your waiver wire and predict when they're going to be huge. Sorry about that. We had a little lag on, on my side, but we're going to just try to steam forward through it. And so, yes, yeah, so QBs are the most predictable position. And based on uh, normal league settings, there's only one starting per team. So you have a better chance of those quarterbacks being available on the waiver wire, which gives you that availability to stream rather than with positions like running back or wide receiver, which you play two upwards of three or four in multiple leagues. One thing I want to look at is I want to ask you, how do you weigh streaming a quarterback versus if you see just a, a stud that's on the waiver wire? Like last year, we saw players like Terrell Pryor and Jay Ajayi hit the waiver wire pretty often. And so where do you kind of put, see, you could have a running back who could be a RB2 for you for the rest of the season versus a streamer for maybe the next week or two. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll almost always favor the running back or the wide receiver just because I know the rest of the league will also be favoring a running back or wide receiver. They just have more value. So even if I get those players and I don't have them as usable guys because I loaded up at the position in the draft because I for I didn't take a quarterback early, um, as a result of that, um, I'm, I'm going to still get those guys just to have those really nice assets. So, you know, a guy like Jay Ajayi, obviously coming off the waiver wire, Terrell Pryor, um, if you can foresee them becoming something, then that's great. Um, then, then I'm going to go after them. So if there's an injury, for instance, and you know that the guy who's stepping in for that running back is, is stepping into a lot of volume, I'm going to favor that running back over getting a quarterback. Otherwise, I'm totally fine with using, uh, you know, a dec- some, some fob or, or uh, a decent waiver priority and getting that streaming quarterback for that week. Yeah, exactly. So that's uh, one thing that I haven't really seen out on the market is how you prioritize your streaming quarterbacks when you stream them. Because when you um, when you wait until the 12th, 13th round to take your first quarterback, that's really you're leaving yourself wide open at the quarterback position. You're basically committing to streaming. And one of the issues, the biggest issue that you'll find when you do that is you go off your committed commitment to streaming. You'll see somebody will just kind of sit there with a Tyrod Taylor type for their entire season where they're really losing a lot of that opportunity to stream and increase about four to five points per game. So I want to talk about how has the streaming quarterback evolved? Yeah, I mean, when I first wrote the ebook, I didn't even necessarily focus on streaming at all. Um, and the reason for that was because, I mean, it was a newer idea, drafting quarterbacks late, um, but also just because, it, it, you know, streaming wasn't necessarily a, a super mainstream thing. So when I first started doing uh, fantasy writing after I published the book, that's when I was uh, introduced, I guess, just via Twitter. I just met him to Denny Carter, who I host Living the Stream with now. And him and I used to, used to talk all the time about streaming and, and why it works and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's when uh, Living the Stream kind of became a thing. And that's when I started to fo- focus more of my efforts on these ideas of predictability and uh, streaming and, and how you can kind of compile this quarterback Frankenstein to be a usable quarterback in fantasy football. And over the last three years now, we've effectively streamed about a QB6 each season by, by picking guys off the waiver wire and recommending them each week. Um, that are owned in 25-ish percent or fewer fantasy leagues. So it's a, it, you know the the reason living the stream exists to me is that we're not looking back in hindsight and saying this is who you should have picked because I think it's really easy. I mean it's obviously very very easy to do that to say there are so many usable quarterbacks. Look at what you could have done. But we're actually before the week happens giving picks as to who you should play at quarterback, keeping track of those picks and showing people that hey this this quarterback streaming thing is not just us talking up our butts, but we're actually uh, giving advice that, that is very usable. Yeah, exactly. And you're talking about the six overall quarterback when you adjusted for, for streaming. And I did a little uh, return on investment on ADP search. And I, I remember we had a back and forth on Twitter, but I found that actually the QB5 is the most, you get the most return on value with QB5. And those ones actually usually finish the year scoring the most points. Instead of taking that QB5 in the sixth round, you're saving that sixth-round pick, divulging that to another position, and you're really adding the exact same value. Yeah, yeah, and that's really where the idea of opportunity cost comes into play. Uh, I think opportunity cost is one of the most overlooked aspects of fantasy football and what drafters are looking at. I look at my drafts as not who I'm drafting. Like, it's the second round, and I'm looking at who to pick in the second round, and let's say I want Jordan Howard or something. 
I'm not looking specifically or only at the fact that I'm getting Jordan Howard. I'm looking at what I'm not getting when I'm drafting Jordan Howard. And I think that's the biggest thing that folks need to need to think about, because if they're thinking about getting a quarterback in the second or third round, like Aaron Rodgers, think about what that means for your running backs and your wide receivers on your team, the more scarce positions. And yeah, this is just great stuff coming from JJ and you can find JJ on Twitter at the late round quarterback and at, uh, he's the editor in chief of numberfire.com. So you can find stuff that he's putting out there. Late round podcast comes out. It's, I think it's biweekly, right? So you put out two episodes a week. Yeah, two episodes a week, and I'll be doing three of them uh, per week during the season. Yeah, and JJ is I, – I love that podcast. It's one of my favorite. JJ goes into Appreciate great it. ideas like um, do not handcuff running backs, uh, what data is usable, and what is the best data. And you can find all those things on JJ's podcast. And he doesn't just do quarterbacks. He's all around one of the best minds in fantasy. Appreciate it, man. Um, so I want to look into a specific, a specific event where you go into the season streaming – but you come away with, say, Matt Ryan in the 12th round last year, and he finished as what QB, a top three QB in basically yeah. every st- every scoring system. So, what do you do when you land that, when you get that gold mine in Matt Ryan? Do you continue to stream? Yeah, so I mean, that, that's the goal, really, with late round quarterbacking. Is is your goal is to find a Matt Ryan? Your goal is to find that guy who's going to be a top two or three quarterback, because realistically, given the positional scarcity and given the supply and demand, and given all of this. The only quarterbacks that are, you know, it's not like I'm sitting here saying quarterbacks don't give you value because there are some quarterbacks each year that are giving you significant value over the rest of the position. The, the, the difference is that that quarterback needs to essentially be the QB1 or the QB2 in order to really give you that value. Uh, so like a QB5, for instance, or QB6 or, or what have you, they're not giving you that significant of an edge over the rest of the position. So while I say, yeah, we streamed a QB6, it's not that it's honestly not as impressive as it might sound because streaming a QB six is not that much different than what a QB 10 or 11 is doing. It's really what you want to like, if, if you're going to um, uh, get a, a true edge at the quarterback position, you need that QB one or that QB two. So with Matt Ryan last year, you know, in season, it was very difficult to say, yeah, Matt Ryan is for sure going to keep this up. Matt Ryan is for sure going to be a top two quarterback from the rest of the season. So I had Matt Ryan on plenty of teams because he had a lot of touchdown uh, regression, positive regression coming for him this past season. I ended up drafting him a good bit because of his touchdown rate being so low in 2015. I traded him in a couple of leagues. And I did that because I know that someone else is going to value the quarterback position more than I do. Um, You know, obviously in hindsight, Matt Ryan being a QB two, he was still giving you a decent edge. Um, But even still, I think that what I get in return if I'm getting a running usable running back, usable wide receiver, especially if, if some of the guys that I drafted busted and I need someone in that in those positions, I think that I'm still getting more value out of trades like that. Yeah, exactly. And thank you very much, JJ. That's great stuff. Um, so we started off by looking at what the initial late round quarterback was in 2012 and how it evolved. So um, right now in this this current year, and I wanna I wanna throw this out there that this is being recorded on. July 20th. So if we talk about individual players, that might change because there are injuries and we're entering training camp and whatnot. But where do you see yourself going in uh, this year? Where, like, what round and what quarterback, what type of quarterbacks are you focusing on? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think um, for me personally, I'm looking, I generally look in the 12th, 13th round at these passers. And look, I mean, there, there's been a massive influx of talented quarterbacks that have come in since 
that season. You know, I wrote the late round quarterback and it just so happened to be the year that all these guys, Russell Wilson, Robert Griffin, the third, Andrew Luck, that season where these guys come in. And then over the last few years, we've seen guys like Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston. We have so much quarterback talent right now. And that just plays into the idea that not only is the supply and demand favoring drafting quarterbacks late, but there are so many usable quarterbacks. It's like Oprah, Oprah, you know, you get a free quarterback, you get a free quarterback. It's like Oprah, Oprah, you know, you get a free quarterback, you get a free quarterback. That's just another reason that you can wait. A guy that I'm targeting this year a lot is Andy Dalton. And, and you know, I think, I think uh, some folks, some folks might look at Andy Dalton and think that he doesn't have upside. Um, but really two years ago in 2015, before he broke, I think it was his finger. Um, before he broke his finger, he was putting together an MVP-type season. He was having a very, very good season. It was him and Carson Palmer. Both of them were doing really well. Um, but then Andy Dalton got hurt. A.J. McCarron comes in. But that season, he had a 6.5% touchdown rate, which is very, very strong. But also, if you throw away the game that he got hurt in, which he only threw five attempts, so I think it's fair to say, let's throw that game away, he averaged 20.32 points per game, which is essentially on Drew Brees' level. Um, last season, uh, his touchdown rate went from 6.5% to 3.2%, which means positive regression because his career uh, touchdown rate is 4.6%. There should be some positive regression coming. It makes sense that his touchdown rate was lower last year because Tyler Eifert was hurt and A.J. Green was hurt. His splits without A.J. Green are absolutely insane. With A.J. Green, he averages 19.98 points per game. Uh, without AJ Green, or without AJ Green and Tyler Eifert, he's averaging under 15 points per game. Um, and his touchdown rate with both AJ Green and Tyler Eifert is 5.6%. So we're looking at a player who, if his weapons are healthy, he could score touchdowns. And if you look at last season with Andy Dalton, he had a 3.2% touchdown rate, like I said. Had he just thrown at his career 4.6% touchdown rate, he would have thrown over 25 touchdowns last year. He would have been a high-end or a mid-QB1 in fantasy football. So it's not really asking for that much for Andy Dalton to really be an effective QB1 and, and a usable fantasy asset for you this season. Yeah, absolutely. And JJ talked about basically that's the analytical side is Andy Dalton should regress to the mean, which is a positive regression, which is a term I, I don't like because it, it's redundant. Yeah. But um, And then if you look at it just from a, a pure football side, first round pick, John Ross, he's a speedster. He's going to open up the field. He's going to open up the middle for Eifert and A.J. Green. And they had a Joe Mixon in the second round, and he's going to take a lot of the weight off, off uh, Andy Dalton's shoulders, and he can catch out of the backfield. He's Many think he's the best, most talented back in the league. So from both an analytical point and a pure football point, Andy Dalton should be in for a great season. And he's going currently at what, like quarterback 17? Yeah, I mean, he's going at QB 17, QB 18-ish. I mean, I think that the the downside, you know, anytime that I tweet about Andy Dalton or write about Andy Dalton, the backlash is their offensive line is going to suck. I mean, they lost a couple guys on the line. I get it. But at the same time, it's kind of embedded and baked into his ADP. You have, When you're drafting a quarterback, like you have to look strictly for upside. So you have to ignore the fact that their offensive line is that bad. Number one, because... I mean, offensive line correlation year to year isn't as strong as some people might think. It's usually at the extremes where it's super strong. Uh, but number two, what if the offensive line isn't that bad? Uh, what, what if the offensive line is just, you know, we're, we're, we're understating what's or, or overstating what's actually happened to that offensive line. And as a result, like you noted, the weapons there are absolutely insane. I mean, it's crazy how many weapons he has. And yet they, they spent a, a second rounder on, on Tyler Boyd last season. I mean, they have a good slot guy in him. So I'm, I'm obsessed with Andy Dalton. I, I, I really, really do think that he has top five QB potential this year. 
Yeah, and to further Andy, pounding away at Andy Dalton, because I love him too. That's, that's one thing I'm actually trying to stay away from this year is confirmation bias. I go into it, I, I say, I like Andy Dalton this year, and then I hear a JJ on his podcast say, Andy Dalton's going to be a great pick this year, and then I say, okay, yeah, that, so Andy Dalton's definitely going to be a great pick. So that's something I'm trying to stay away from, but both analytically and football side, Andy should be in, in line for a big season. And that being said... He only had A.J. Green and Tyler Eifert for two games last year. And you talk about right. how effectively he, he played with them, too. If we even say that's eight, nine, ten games, he's probably looking at a quarterback 11 or 12. Yeah, easily. Um, so we talked about the, uh, the past, the present. Now let's look into a little bit in the future. So now we've seen a, a pretty major shift in the, fo- in the fantasy industry towards late-round quarterback. But in the next two or three years, where do you see that kind of settling in and where the, the top-end quarterbacks go and where the, the quarterbacks that us in the industry are going to be looking for value at? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of hope that super flex leagues just become uh, more popular just because it's a way to to get value to that back to that quarterback position. Um, you know, I always say that drafting quarterbacks late, you know, the book is not is not centered around just the fact that you should draft quarterbacks late. It's centered around the idea of just value. And generally speaking, the way that average draft position and costs work is that there's always value in drafting quarterbacks late because people are almost always drafting quarterbacks fairly early. Um, I think that where we're at right now with the quarterback position is probably about where we're going to be for the next few years because there's not necessarily obvious talent that's going to become something. Um, but there is, you know, there is a very core group of 10 to 15 guys who look pretty consistent, who look like they can be usable. And the fact that every fantasy league is 10 to 14 teams, um, or most fantasy leagues are, that means every single team's going to have a usable quarterback, which means there's really no reason to draft them early. You know, there, there's not, you know, you have less incentive, I should say, to, to at least go after them early. So I think what we're seeing now is probably what's going to be happening in the future. Maybe uh, quarterbacks can continue to go a little bit later just because of, uh, you know, the, the, the notion of streaming and the, the things that we've talked about. But um, overall, I, I definitely don't see it going in the other direction. Yeah, and to your point, in the next, uh, let's say, three to five years, I think there's going to be a significant uh, uh, downgrade in quarterbacks when we see the the Bradys, the Mannings, the Roethlisbergers, all those older quarterbacks kind of exit the league, and we're going to have more. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to go from 14 really good quarterbacks to 22 meh, pretty good quarterbacks with Aaron Rodgers and Andrew Luck sitting up at the top. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, we basically talked about everything there is about quarterback and JJ gave us some great stuff. Now I just want to briefly touch on some of the other positions. You said, um, running back is the second easiest to predict. And it's the the position where you, you really have the least availability. There are only 30, there are 32 teams. So there's only one running back on most plays. So there's a lot of the running back is the most scarce position. So how are you constructing your roster when it, when it comes to running backs? Yeah, I mean, the thing with the running back position is, you know, if you think of uh, usability and and week-to-week replaceability, the elite running backs are giving you the highest edge, bar none, out of any position in fantasy football. If you owned David Johnson last season, if you owned Le'Veon Bell last season, you were probably winning your your fantasy football matchups. The problem is knowing who those running backs are going to be is a lot more difficult than knowing who the wide receivers are going to be. There's much more consistency year-to-year in rankings for wide receivers than there are for running backs. Um, because of injury and because of the way that running backs are replaceable in general from a real football standpoint. 
With that being said, I think that it's very obvious who, well, you know, Zeke's suspension aside, or potential suspension, I think it's very obvious who those top running backs are. Uh, I think we're getting more of a clear picture as to even the 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 next tier. You know, not even, I mean, LaShawn McCoy might be in his own tier after them, but, you know, you have a guy like LaShawn McCoy, you have Jay Ajayi, you have Devontae Freeman, you have Jordan Howard, you have guys who you should feel fairly confident in. So I'm totally okay with going with an early round running back uh, approach. Um, and then pounding some of those wide receivers in the in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds. Um, that's that's generally the way that that I'm constructing, and that's kind of the way that I've constructed my lineups for a while. I think that a lot of people see running back by committees, and they assume that that makes the running back position less important or less vital. But what it actually does is it makes the running backs who are seeing a lot of volume and getting touches all the time even that more valuable because they're rarer, they're more scarce. So that's why you should have to pay somewhat of a premium on David Johnson, on Le'Veon Bell, because they are that special and that unique to the rest of the league. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people are pounding the table for zero RB because of this. Um, But I really don't know how many true zero RB roster constructions work last year if you didn't get a guy like Melvin Gordon or if you didn't get a DeMarco Murray later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, zero RB t- to me, it's definitely a, a, a vital or a viable approach, uh, and, and it's logical. And I think that the the reason it can work, it could definitely work more in, in a three wide receiver flex league where you're essentially a PPR league where you're essentially starting four wide receivers each week. That's that's when it makes the most sense. In a standard league, don't go zero RB. It doesn't make much sense to go zero RB. But in a PPR league where you're starting four wide receivers, it totally makes sense because that flex spot should be going to a wide receiver. And, and honestly, zero RB is built in a way on humility because we know that we're going to be wrong with our projections a lot. We know that that our running back picks are going to bust more often than our wide receiver picks just inherently. So I get the, the zero RB approach. I think, though, that there is a lot of value in having a top five running back um, just because of the replaceability week to week. But I'm very, very okay with trying to solidify that RB one spot, drafting a ton of wide receivers, especially if, again, if you're in a PPR league that you can flex uh, the position and then getting later round guys uh, who might be following that have that, that upside that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's great. That's a great segue into what I was going to say is because we see so many more people grabbing an early running back, securing that RB one position and then looking elsewhere. So um, what are some of the later guys, let's say, uh, currently round eight and after at the running back position that you find yourself uh, getting a lot of shares of? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends a lot on on roster construction in general. So, you know, I, for instance, I love the value of Frank Gore right now. Uh, I know that a lot of people don't because he's uh, old enough to be our dads. But at the same time, uh, last year he wasn't that bad. I don't know why a guy who was a fringe RB one, he had four top 12 performances last year, which was thir- tied for 13th most in the league. He had eight top 18 performances, which was tied for eighth, and 10 top 24 performances, which was also tied for eighth. I mean, Frank Gore, you know, if you are going zero RB, uh, I think that he's a good target because he can give you that floor at the very least while you're going out and searching for, or trying to hit on uh, some of those higher upside guys, maybe like a, uh, Samaje P. Ryan in Washington, maybe like the Kareem Hunt in Kansas City. I like both of those guys a whole lot. But Bagore, I think, is a good foundation piece uh, for that floor. And then finding some of those rookie backs that, that could blow up. You know, I like Kareem Hunt a lot uh, in Kansas City. 
I think that, you know, there's a lot of Spencer Ware hype. I think that that backfield is one of the more divisive topics in fantasy football this offseason. Um, for good reason. Spencer Ware has shown to be a pretty good running back, but also last season was the first time in his career, including college, that Spencer Ware has ever seen more than 200 carries in a single season. And he was not as effective as he was two seasons ago when they had more of a split backfield. So I think that, you know, the, the Chiefs traded up to get Kareem Hunt in the third round, which is decent equity to spend on a running back. I think Kareem Hunt is going to be usable, especially in the second half of the 2017 season. Yeah, definitely. And Kareem Hunt is the uh, the PFF guy. He was their number one running back coming out of college in this draft class. Um, so they really like him. And he's coming into one of the better situations among uh, rookie running backs. Um, so let's pivot over to the least predictable position, which is tight end. And what's, are you going for one of the, the top tier tight ends? I see that it is having there are six top tier tight ends in tier one, tier two being the Reed, Gronk, Kelsey, Olsen, and then Jimmy Graham, Tyler Eifert, and then you can sometimes put Kyle Rudolph in there based on if you think he's going to do the same volume he did last year. Yeah, so, I mean, the tight end position is the same notion as the quarterback position where you're only starting one, so the supply should be plentiful and the demand isn't that high for uh, the position in general. But uh, so, so I'm, I'm looking more at late-round tight ends, uh, you know, just because of, of that fact. So guys that I like a lot. I like Jack Doyle, uh, even though he's quite the dad runner. You look at the, the Colts offense and the way that they've used tight ends when Andrew Luck has been healthy in 2016. So last season, they were fifth in, in receptions. Tight ends were they were third in yards and second in touchdowns. So that's obviously a, a combination of Dwayne Allen as well with Jack Doyle. And then uh, 2014, since so Kobe Fleener and Dwayne Allen, they were fifth in receptions, second in yards and first in touchdowns as a tight end group. Now you have Jack Doyle stepping in as that tight end one with Dwayne Allen now departed in New England. Uh, he was very, very usable last season when he got the call. I think Jack Doyle is a really good late round target. And the other guy that I'm very, very into is Eric Ebron. Um, Eric Ebron's only scored, he's only scored seven NFL touchdowns. He only had one touchdown last season, despite having, I think, like 85 targets. But <clears throat> despite that fact, in PPR formats, Ebron was giving you low end tight end one numbers without scoring touchdowns. So at the very least, you're looking at a tight end who's going to give you somewhat usable numbers to begin with. But Anquan Bolden, who played the slot last year, he played the majority of his snaps from the slot. He's gone. I know Golden Tate will play more in the slot this season, but Anquan Bolden was more of a red zone threat for them than Golden Tate has ever been. Uh, Eric Ebron's going to probably see a little bit more red zone work considering Bolden finished last season tied for second in red zone targets among all wide receivers in the league. He was third in targets within the opponent's 10-yard line, and he was tied for fifth and targets within the five, all of those targets are gone. Those are up Those are up for grabs. I think Eric Ebron can finally, I mean, look, he's still very, very young too. He's actually been at his age, one of the more productive tight ends in NFL history. Um, so I, I think this could be the year that Eric Ebron finally breaks out. Yeah, and uh, one guy that I'll throw in there as well is uh, Crockett Gilmore in Baltimore. He's going to be very, very late. They have, um, between their four players that left, Steve Smith, uh, Pitta, who is their tight end, who is injured, he's out for the year, uh, Kamar Aiken now in Indianapolis. And people don't really notice this, but Kyle Juszczyk got 49 targets last year. And that's yeah. how, that was good for fourth or fifth on the team. So that's 321 vacated targets. Jeremy Macklin isn't going to eat up all of those along with uh, Brashard Perriman if we ever do see him. Uh, but so Crawford yeah. Gilmore... In 2015, he was top 15 in every efficiency stat, and his competition is a, a 47-year-old Ben Watson. So he has yeah, no cost, right. and there's a ton of upside if he's, say, 
even tight end 10, if he gets the starting role, he's probably a shoe in for tight end 10 in that passing offense. So he's another guy that I like personally. And um, so uh, that's it, everything on the, the fantasy side that we wanted to ask JJ. Uh, one thing I want to uh, congratulate JJ on the, he's wearing a Penguins hat, the, uh, the Stanley Cup champions, Pittsburgh Penguins. It's two years in a row now, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know if people have heard, but it's, they're, they're back, back Stanley Cup champions. Uh, and then JJ had a, a number of misleading tweets during the, uh, the Stanley Cup games that drew a lot of attention. And then uh, yes. I saw you went on a, a recent trip to Boston. So tell me about that, because I'm actually a Boston boy myself. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, my wife and I went up to Boston. Uh, there was a wedding that we went to in Maine. So we spent about a day and a half or so in Boston, uh, just kind of explored the city, did a duck tour. That was fun. Um, so we got to see the city a little bit. We, I, I've been up there, but not to really like explore that much. It's usually for work. Uh, then we drove up to Maine, uh, went to a little town called Hartswell in Maine. It's about a two hour drive from Boston. Had, a, my wife's good friend from college. She got married. It was a really good time. It's a, it's a great area out there in New England. Yeah, it's awesome. And, uh, Boston is great. You can probably do all of Boston in three days though. That's the only, that's the only Yeah, yeah. Time. I mean, I, I feel like we, we did, you know, we did as many tours and we walked around and saw as many things as we possibly could. So I feel like we absorbed a lot and got a lot out of Boston in the time that we were there. Yeah. And so that's, uh, JJ Zacharyson loves Boston, loves the Penguins. He's our, uh, our first official guest and a great guest. He's definitely worth your follow and go subscribe to his podcast. Shit, you should go subscribe to Numberfire too. Give him that credit because he's just coming out with great stuff every week. If you want to win fantasy championships, JJ's a guy to turn to. Thank you very much, JJ. I'm very honored and humbled to have you on as our first official guest. No, I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you very much. All right, all right. I'd like to thank JJ again for coming on. He gave us some great information. If you want to find any more of JJ's work, head over to numberfire.com or you can find his podcast at the Late Round Podcast. I would also like to take this time to remind everyone that our iTunes giveaway is still active. Uh, Head over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and leave your Twitter handle in the review, and you will be entered to win a free draft kit. And I'd like to let you know that in the next podcast, I will be going over my tiers as extensively as I can, and I'll be detailing why I ranked everyone how I did. Um, Thank you, everyone, for coming, and have a nice day. I can be the one to give all you need, yeah. Nobody's trying to take you away from me. There's no point in breathing all alone. I'd rather have you on my lips and breathe you in my soul. What would you do if somebody tried to hit me? Be my Kim K, don't let no one tell us with me. I got all these feelings, I'm all just for you. And I don't know what to do, I'm at a loss on my words. It's no biggie, I'm rich on me. Quantity's just not better than what I'm giving you. The quality of my love is something that you can use. Wanna see us in peace, acting like we don't see it. Wanna copy us, I like Donald Trump wiping speeches. If you feel you're sinking, I will jump right over it. I would still be patient with you.